A quick note before this week's episode. Sony hadn't confirmed that the PS Vita, PS3 and PSP stores were due to close this summer before we started recording. Now, they have, though users will still be able to re-download their purchases in future. Hello and welcome to the back page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's things going, Matthew? How was the movie Relic? Uh, I thought it was quite scary. It was one of these films where it's kind of art, like slightly artsy horror, I'd say, or kind of uh, like worthy horror, mm. where it's also like a metaphor for like a sad family thing. So you can kind of you can kind of rub your beard while also um, pooping yourself um which is the perfect combination <laughs> wow you should um, write for, you should write for empire with that kind of uh <laughs> listen it's quite early in the morning <laughs> <laughs> it is it's like uh, uh, 10 15 um yeah but this always happens i see these films they get like five stars in the guard you know the guardian which is obviously my film review <laughs> source of choice <laughs> and so i go oh i better watch that i better have an opinion on that but then they are also horror films which i'm very bad at watching i'm like I'm, i get very easily scared so um yeah we we ordered a big pizza eating a big pizza is a good antidote to horror because it's quite hard to be scared while you're also eating pizza i find Mm. Again, like was this in, was this in the Guardian's review? Like, uh, if you find this a bit scary, order a big pizza. Um, <laughs> that's just think... the that's just the classic castle life hack. Yeah. Also, your whole thing about stroking your beard. I mean, I've never seen you with a beard. You know. No, I can't grow one. <laughs> so, <laughs> like scratching my my sort of slightly teenage bum fluff chin. Okay, good stuff. Well, um, what about on the game side, Matthew? Have you picked up Monster Hunter Rise? I've uh, I've got. It at uh, by my bedside table at the moment. I've played about 10 I, minutes of it, and it does look nice for a, a Nintendo Switch game. I haven't. It's my birthday next week. In fact, it's my birthday when people are listening to this episode, I think. Mm. Um, so, uh, happy birthday, me, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <fair> <laughs> I accept uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So, I haven't bought anything because, uh, you know, I thought I'd ask for some stuff. So, I hope maybe, hopefully, I'll be playing that and enjoying that on my birthday. I've been playing... Uh, what have I been playing? Oh, God. I don't know why, but I tried that Balan Wonderland. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. hectic thing. Because I thought, maybe, just maybe, this looks gaudy and awful, but it might be secretly brilliant. Like, <laughs> I like 3D platformers. You know, you've got to try them just to make sure. You know, just in case. But it's, it's, it's pretty terrible. Good music, though. Very lively music, which listeners to the podcast will know counts very highly in my opinion of games uh, <laughs> as long as it's got some big jaunty tunes i just think because uh, it's a yuji uh naka game ah uh, yes one of your nemeses uh, well i just don't think anyone's had I, I i don't know if he's made a good game since sonic the hedgehog looking over his career i just i don't really understand this this sort of let's keep giving this guy money. I mean, no offence to him. Uh, and this isn't just because he was cross with me at E3 because <laughs> I wouldn't move off the Luigi's Mansion demo. But a very weird career arc. He must be quite frustrated because to have created Sonic and, and not really had the run of it that, you know, like Miyamoto has had, for example. I imagine yeah. he's had a pretty good uh, pretty good life. Didn't he make Nights into Dreams? Is that not one of his? Well, that's Yeah, but even that was like, 
He's, I'd say he's, he's he's like he's the classic in films, like the person who makes the killer first debut film, and then it's all downhill from there. He's like a Richard Kelly, I think. <laughs> Brutal. Um, I think he's the Richard Kelly of development, and there aren't many of them. There aren't many people who start as high as Sonic the Hedgehog and end on Balan Wonderland. Is it, are you saying uh, this is the box of, um, of his uh, <laughs> yeah, career? Yeah, and Knights is the Southland Tales. <laughs> wow, that's so brutal. Yes, I find that quite funny, actually, when um, you were uh, on this podcast. I find that, like, you kind of have these accidental grudges where you sort of, like, fall into a trap of... Uh, kind of like calling out the same people or things over and over again. And I find it very funny. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Balan Wonderland. The, yeah. the Box is the is the worst film I've ever seen at the cinema. Mm. Do you think The Box is actually worse than Southland Tales? Because that, that film, I, I tried to rewatch that a couple of years ago, and that was like a, a, a disaster. Like, it's such a scattershot bad film. That, that's the thing is Southland Tales, yeah, is total shit. It's terrible. It's a one-star film, but the box is that, and it's just so... It's such, like, willful nonsense. Mm. I, I, I just... I cannot stand, like, like real student film, like, ooh, isn't this weird and quirky? <laughs> Awful. Awful. Yeah. I would... I, maybe maybe it's unfair to call Balan Wonderland the box of the video games, but yeah. just... Uh, not for me. Oh well, fair enough. I'm, I started playing a Hypnospace Outlaw actually, and um, oh yeah, yeah, that's this kind of like uh, you know old internet uh, set game. I'm sure many of our listeners already know what it is. It's on Game Pass, and um, you can actually play it on Xbox, which I find really curious because it's definitely like a desktop PC kind of game. That's what it emulates. It emulates surfing the internet in 1999, mm. and um, yeah, that's uh, it. Absolutely submerges you in its setting. I was, I was extremely impressed by it. I, I kind of knew I'd like it, and then. You sort of immediately think of games like Her Story, where I like games where it's sort of simulating a computer, or like the movie Searching, for example, um, which I think does quite a good job with that sort of thing. I like, uh, mm. yeah, I think it's a, a novel conceit. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that was a, a nice little bit of uh, chatter there, Matthew, to break the ice, um, to diffuse the um, you know tension between us. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about there. Um, so. This episode, we um, have like temporarily paused uh, Games Magazine covers from Heaven. That we will revisit uh, next weekend, and I promise we'll actually like do the episode teased on the um, prior episode this time. Because I realise like two weeks in a row now we've not done that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll go back to our regular plan next week. But this seemed like a good opportunity to talk about something else. The um, the website, The Gamer, this week, uh, Kirk McKeand, uh, reported that the PSP and PS3 stores will be closed on July 3rd. That is the uh, uh, PlayStation stores, the digital stores. And the PS Vita store, meanwhile, will close on August 27th. Now, I don't believe Sony has commented on the reports around this, um, but uh, it's widely expected to be announced at the end of the month. That is the end of March. So by the time you're listening to this, it might have happened. It might not have happened. Um, it's worth caveating that before we talk about what we're going to talk about on this episode because, you know, the entire premise of it could be kind of like false. But those details were pretty specific and um, yeah, I don't I think mean, Kirk would have reported it unless he was like certain that was the case. That would be a very strange specific thing to pull out of your ass, wouldn't it? <laughs> it definitely would, yeah. Um, but it's quite interesting because we've talked on this um, podcast before about, you know, when we talked about 3DS games, for example, we, we talked about the idea that like, eventually Nintendo will probably close that store and make it so you can't actually like download a bunch of its more interesting titles. And here, it's like quite a lot of major stuff that Sony is potentially going to lock people out of. So 
in this episode, uh, we're going to talk a bit about the idea of like, mm, I say games preservation. That sounds really boring, doesn't it? Just the idea of like, what do console manufacturers owe you when it comes to their back catalogs? Mm. And then um, we're also going to recommend a bunch of games, around 10, maybe slightly, yeah, around 10 games um, that we think are worth picking up before these stores close. And then finally, we've got like a whole kind of like bunch of honorable mentions where I feel like there are games that are worth discussing that either I haven't played, that's a few of them, or some I have played, but I don't think are like essential. So Mm. yeah, that's what we're going to discuss in this episode, Matthew. To kick off then, do you have any thoughts overall on like what console manufacturers like owe us when it comes to their back catalogs? I mean, it, with the digital side of things, it's it's much trickier, and I think the reason this stuff kind of like sort of upsets us when we hear it is because it's you know uh, like the first of its kind. Like it's you know th- these are only problems we're we're running into now. Traditionally, you know you've got your games, you've got your your physical copies of your games, and everyone kind of knows the deal. Like if you can own it, you can you know if you can find a copy and buy it, you can own it. That makes sense. With digital, there's always been a sort of vague thing hanging over it. You know of what happens eventually. You know with with these services, and we just haven't run into many of these situations where people have actually had to answer it. So it's kind of interesting to see. You know this has actually happened already with DSiWare on the DSi. You can't download that stuff anymore. So that's like a little chunk of... It's not like Nintendo have avoided this entirely. It just seems more egregious here, I think, um, because of the the size of the library. It seems a little off because I feel like Sony, definitely more than Microsoft, not as much as Nintendo, have like lent into their their history and like the sense of you, you are a PlayStation fan. You know, it's an identity... You know, they, they, they're they much more aware of, like, anniversaries and, you know, nods and tips of the hat to their older games. So it seems it then seems a bit rich to turn around and say, like, we are going to cut you off from quite a large chunk of that. Um, or maybe I'm only thinking that because I recently played that Astro Bot thing, which is obviously, like, PlayStation nostalgia of the game. Mm. Um but like that feels like a very different company who made that decision to make that game to the company that goes, you know what? You can't play any of these things anymore. You can't buy them anymore. Bye. Well, so Nintendo also did this with the Wii, right? Like um, there's a bunch yeah. of virtual console games I own on Wii that I can just no longer download on my Wii U because, um, you know, it's just, it's gone. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of those things where the decision to do this stuff, I don't think is malicious. It's just like nobody's objectives for the year in a company, like a publicly listed company. It's going to be like grow PS3 or PS Vita digital sales. Like um, I saw <laughs> some people suggest that Sony specifically was doing this because it doesn't have like pride in this era of its history. And I'm like, I don't think there's as much intent to it as that. I think it's just yeah. like this stuff doesn't sell. They have, like, you know, PS4 and PS5 mega selling, like, you know, kind of digital game formats. And the the store that they use, the storefront seems slightly different. So for whatever reason, they can't support the storefront on these consoles. Um, it, it, it doesn't help, I think, that in Jim Ryan, they've got someone who is quite bullish. Like, he's not a very he's not very good at being sympathetic to, like, weird gamer quirks. 
mm. uh, you know, so when people ask him about like retro stuff, he's quite sort of sniffy about it. He's like, ah, who wants to play old shit? He, has, he hasn't actually said who wants to play old shit games. But <laughs> like the quotes that you see are basically that. <laughs> You know, he's like, Ugh, why would you want to play a PlayStation 1 game? You've got a PlayStation 5 game. You know, like, it's, it's kind of his vibe, which doesn't seem great. Like, it's probably better to say nothing than that. Yeah, I think it was, was it Gran Turismo that that quote was doing the rounds? Yeah, on? right, that's the one. Yeah. And, like, um, he's been around at PlayStation for quite a long time, right? Like, since the PS1 days? So Yeah. It's almost kind of weird. I mean, again, like, but he's, he's a, like a business guy. Like, it's it's not like... You know, he's not there to be like the caretaker of these old games. It's just, it's it's a a job, and like um, you know, Sony has a very different identity now to what it had during its like PS3, PS2, and PS1 days. Like it just it keeps changing. So yeah, I think yeah. it is a shame though. Um, even without the intent, like uh, Sony, the biggest casualty when I was looking at the back catalogue here of the different games, like um, PS3. You can pretty much get most of the main PS3 games boxed, right? There aren't that many games like that are specifically digital. There are a few, but like that you can't get anywhere else. So that is like not the biggest like issue here. And the mm. PS Vita, meanwhile, has you know very well renowned for being like a, a kind of like an indie first console. Ultimately, it wasn't massively successful, but weirdly, it's the only Sony console that's ever become like synonymous with its digital store like it's people don't i don't really know that people buy loads of physical ps vita games but mm. people bought a lot of like you know kind of like digital versions of um interesting japanese games or indie games um mm. but i actually think the biggest casualty is sony if they if sony does this this is like loads and loads of ps1 classics you will no longer be able to buy them like from sony like they mm. will you can go and hunt, hunt down the box copies on ebay but basically, if you if you think that you should be able to play the original version of Metal Gear Solid on PS1 and you, and you want to buy that legally, Sony is going to remove the opportunity to do that. I think that however, whatever way they tear it, it doesn't look great. And also, it's not like Sony is struggling at the moment. Like, whatever the, the sort of overheads are for keeping this store going, surely they can afford it. So I do mm. actually agree with people's... Um, criticism here i think that like i don't know there's even if there's not intent it's like why is what's it to you to like why is it more important to stop people buying these games than to kind of keep the store going i don't really get that but um yeah i, yeah. I think particularly when you've got you know nintendo you know are obviously famous for kind of reselling nes roms like 25 years after the fact um but they are there if you want them you can buy them if you want to go down that legal route you know they are there and xbox have gone out of their way to do more of that you know they went out of their way in the last generation to bring back xbox one backwards compatibility which is kind of you know in a limited form but like an attempt at it so it's like everyone's going in one direction sony's going in the other which is probably why it seems extra odd i'd say yeah i think nintendo is also the worst for like every single generation will start again with accumulating its like old digital library on the new format like um, yeah i mean that's really irritating that for me is why you know i think one of the best things about xbox and currently currently it's true but this may eventually just become a line is this whole like you know if you own an xbox game you know it will work on whatever we build is is basically their line you know Mm. that that's 
if, if it currently works on an Xbox, it will always work on a, whatever the future form of the Xbox is. I mean, it only takes one generation to disprove that. Um, it's something they kind of bought in in Xbox One. Um, you know, I remember uh, we interviewed Phil Spencer in Official Xbox, and they were talking about this like shift to like the mobile, basically shifting to a mobile phone model of the way they think about their like you know operating systems and what works on what. But even better than a mobile phone thing because you don't have to keep updating your games for like newer versions because that's the curse of like iOS development is having to constantly update everything to hit new standards or whatever and I think it's a real drain on people. Um, sort of people just let their games go sort of defunct. But uh, yeah, on Xbox, you know, now the it, it's kind of crazy that you know the brand new console also plays all these you know original Xbox games from twenty years ago. Some of which have been like upgraded, so they've got like weird four K elements to them, which is kind of yeah. I mean, they don't have to do it. I don't really know what the benefit of it is, other than looking much better than Sony in moments exactly like this. Yeah, I think um, as we sort of touched upon in previous episodes, it was kind of almost like a a big PR move to say, hey, you know, we've remembered that backwards compatibility is interesting. Um, Mm. But regardless of the source on it, the fact that if you bought a digital game on an Xbox format 15 years ago, you can still download it. That is pretty cool. Like um, Mm. that kind of continuity of digital purchases is is something that only Microsoft is doing. And um, yeah, like you say, this suggests that Sony's kind of going in the opposite direction. And I think their argument would be, well, a bunch of games are on PS Now. Like PS Now is a, you know, a digital streaming service that uh, gives you access to like PS3 games because uh, none of Sony's, um, neither the PS4 or the PS5 can natively play PS3 games because everyone knows the PS3 was a kind of weirdo architecture sort of console and um, <laughs> they've kind of given up on that. But I think that to the vast majority, at least of my peers, people don't want to stream these games. They would rather just own them. And I don't think uh, digital streaming, we know that this is like not culturally embedded enough for it to be like a, a, an adequate substitute at this point. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you have any interest in PS Now, Matthew? No. I mean, if if you could download all those things, I don't know you can download, I think it's all the PS4 games you can actually just download and play. So it basically acts like Game Pass for PS, for those PS4 games. But the the streaming thing is it's just rough. It's it's not an ideal way of of doing it um, for me as a delivery thing. I think for me the the bigger concern is like you know the the two the two big conversations around PlayStation Five at the moment are like how expensive the games are, and now the what is the lifespan of a digital purchase, which together is a is a bit of a rotten cocktail. Because it's like, do you really want to pay 70 quid for something which you can't guarantee how long you're actually going to own it for? Mm. I mean, that's that seems like an especially bad combination of things to have, like, floating around. Yeah. My hope is that Sony will at least keep the function to download games that you already own, even if you can't buy new ones. But again, they haven't really... Obviously, this is, like, reporting, so we don't know what the exact plans are yet. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. It's... Uh, it's a bit kind of daunting. Also, like, I don't know. I mean, do they just keep? I don't know if there's a technical reason for this. They have to just keep redoing their store and can't, and they can't just offer the same games on the store each time. Like, I really don't get the um, the sort of thinking behind it. It's just a just a bizarre thing. Because um, they had they had a they had a period where it felt like with PS, I want to say PS3, 
PS Vita and PSP, there was quite a lot of interplay. Like you could buy, you know, you could play like a, you could can't you play like a PSP Mini on a PS3? Yeah. I I basically going through my PS Vita library. There's lots of stuff which I can download on Vita, which I definitely never bought on Vita. I got on PS3 or maybe it must have been PS4 actually. Some of them, and there's like a little bit of uh, there's like a little window where it feels like there is a bit of interplay and a bit of you know if you buy it on one thing, it'll work on these other things as well, which is kind of like the Xbox sort of promise. You know, like if you buy it, it'll work on anything we have. Um, which is kind of exciting. So it is a shame. Again, it's just a, another little example of like, I think that thinking was there once. Maybe just they've whatever they're dealing because I know they've always had problems with, like they've had some wider problems with back and pat over PS3 not being able to play or the PS3 basically has they have to basically put a PS2 inside it, right? That's my understanding. It, yeah, yeah, which is kind of mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know that's a super broad version of that, but it's like not building platforms with that in mind is is probably like a huge a huge ball ache. And I hope going forwards that they, uh, you know, people don't make that mistake again. Yeah, I think that um, Sony itself as well isn't like isn't doesn't seem to be great at understanding which games its back catalogue are that important. So I think everyone kind of considers the um, PlayStation Classic they did the kind of mini console to be like the the kind of the worst of that generation of like smaller versions of old consoles next to like the nes and snes classics and the um mega drive one that's apparently very good yeah so i don't even think that they kind of like truly understand the value of what they've got um which is a weird position to be it was just 20 copies of the star wars fighting game wasn't it (laughs) Masters of Terrace Castle. I'm never going to live that down on this podcast. Um, but hey, if you you know if you you're like, to... wow, that's all this console plays, and they're like, yep, <laughs> you love Star Wars. Yeah, uh, there's actually like there's one area here where I think I, I actually do want to praise Sony a little bit. So when I was trying to come up with games here that you can't get on, you can't play on like a modern format, so like PS4 or whatever, um, Sony was pretty good at getting like a lot of its best kind of like digital only games onto ps4 from ps3 so um super stardust you can play on ps4 twin stick shooter from housemark doing the um doing uh returnal obviously a uh, 70 pound game still can't go over that price point matthew and um <laughs> uh, flower the unfinished swan journey and the pixel junk games they, these are all available to play on ps4 sound shapes and uh, Loco Roco, um, they retrieved both of those off of the um, off of the console. Patapon as well, like a lot of like kind of PSP or sort of like uh, PS3 digital games. They did actually find a way to get them onto modern formats. And if you did own the original, I believe in most cases there, particularly with Flower and Journey, if you own the PS3 version, you got the PS4 version for free. So mm. it's not like Sony, you know, has done nothing here. It's just, yeah, I think the PS1 games thing is like the biggest blind spot here they may not have thought about when they'd made this decision. Um, but we'll get into that a bit more. The P- I was wondering, Matthew, if you had any kind of more thoughts about these consoles generally and like what they're kind of associated with. So with PS Vita, I was sort of like amazed by how many like weird looking visual novels I'd never heard of came to that console. And when you look on the di- digital store now, that's kind of like one of the main offerings. So I think like smaller European publishers have just sort of brought them across. But is there anything you kind of like firmly associate the PS Vita with? Yeah, I, I would say that's that that's basically it for me. Like I, I you know, that I I played. There's a lot of indie games on there, which 
you know, were also on P- uh, PC, but I played on Vita. I think the Switch has taken over that role now. Like the Switch has, has kind of claimed that sort of in, like weird indie Vita audience. So you know, kind of people who maybe you know got to know things like Hotline Miami on Vita or whatever would now be discovering similar things on on Switch. But otherwise, yeah, the visual novels. Um, which I think it helped. I, I, for me personally, the the hat the a portable console is is a much more natural home for those things. Like I occasionally play them on PS4, or PS5 now, and you know I always feel like oh man, I'm just sitting in front of my TV reading this. It doesn't make it, it's not a very comfortable experience. You know, it shows you know they're quite redundant on a TV in a way. Likewise on PC, the visual novel stuff it just doesn't quite doesn't quite work for me sitting at my desk. You know, looking at static maids um, <laughs> <laughs> um but if uh but on a port on a portable yeah it's it, it just i don't know it just fits it fits so much better uh there's very rarely a visual novel i'm playing where i don't think oh man i wish i was playing this on vita instead and it's a nice thing i've just booted mine back up actually and was looking over my library and was remembering all my all my good visual novel time so that's yeah that's that's sort of very much it for me but i mean that's also like a crazy niche, really, to try and build a console on. Yeah, I don't think they even like planned that to be the case. It was sort of like originally they they treated the PS Vita like it was a sort of full fat PlayStation console. They got like an Uncharted onto it around launch, and then they, um, mm. you know, like an, an okay Uncharted, I would say. If you play it, it's like mm. it does it doesn't quite feel of the same quality, but it's you know it's it definitely looks the part on the console. And then yeah, it has like a, a can't kill you like ru- like I have played it, but it's got some like weird touchscreen implementation because it's that classic launch game where it's trying to show off like every feature. <laughs> yeah. So like whenever he goes in the water, you can like rub his trousers to dry him off and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that which is definitely the uh, missing piece from the first three Uncharted games. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I wish I could rub that butt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can like touch the screen to make um, Drake climb across different cliffs and stuff. You sort of draw onto the screen to make him do that, and you're sort oh, of there right. thinking, "I would rather just not do any of this." But um, also, the PS Vita is a very over-designed console. It has a touch screen on the back as well, um, <laughs> or like it has like little a little kind of like touchpad thing on the back, and it's like, why does it need this? But yeah, yeah, you just like once in terror away to make your fingers burst through the screen, which was quite cool. <laughs> yeah. But- you are also like, man, this is this is quite probably quite an expensive addition to the console <laughs> for this one game, for this five seconds of one game. Yeah, I totally get people's like affection for it as a an indie playing device, though. Like, um, I agree with you. Turn it on; it is a really nice console. Like, the menu screens are really nice. I've got the, um, I think it was an OLED screen, right? It was a really fancy yeah. screen for the time. Like, um, yeah, I, I managed to pick it up quite cheap. If you want to get um, a Vita now on eBay, they're about a hundred quid, I think. Um, and like, uh, yeah. But again, I, I'm I'm very cautious in this episode not to like recommend people buy everything we discuss because. So I do yeah. think a couple of our listeners do do that, and I'm like, um, I want to just be like more responsible with my recommendations. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, but no, I bought a PS Vita in 2012, and very quickly kind of like realised the box games weren't really where it was at. Sony sort of gave up on it. I kind of wish that games still came out on Vita. Probably would have played like Hades or Into the Breach on Vita had the Switch yeah. not existed. It's quite weird booting up now when you go into a store which is still functioning but hasn't had any new updates, <laughs> and like. All its promo spots are like held by games that came out like two or three years ago, maybe four years. You know, it's like, 
hey, the first, you know, Lego Star Wars, The Force Awakens, do you want to buy that? And you're like, no, not really. <laughs> but it really kind of, I don't know, just sort of instantly dates the console. I think someone should go in there, like, if they are going to close it, someone should go into that store and basically, like, push all the weird stuff up top and just turn it into, like, a celebration. They should just go, here we go, here's all the good stuff, drop everything to 99p, <laughs> yeah. just... Just really go, you know, have like a, like there should be a closing down, you know, sale version for digital storefronts. Yeah. That'd be so cool. Like the works on the high street. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to buy a load of crime novels for 99p and like a Southampton football club annual from three years ago? (laughs) If so, this is the digital store for you. Yeah. It's like, um, if I go in there looking for graphic novels, say, I can find, like, volume four of, like, the worst Avengers series from, like, eight years ago. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's what we're saying to do with the PS Vita. <laughs> yeah, um, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I found really funny is for a long, long time, I think it was about, like, three or four years. It might still be on there. The The Martian was on there on the home screen. Um <laughs> just like buying the idea of like buying it digitally on playstation uh, video which i actually think is something they're getting rid of isn't it the um ps video store but um right. yeah just the idea that the martian had a home page on a, like a console sort of like storefront <laughs> for years and years and then when you go to the top sellers on there as well it's like undertale has been like the number one selling game on ps vita for like you know yeah, right. about six years now um yeah very bizarre do you think there's gonna be like a guy really kicking off because he can't buy the martian anymore in his vita <laughs> Yeah, it's like this is you know this is clearly the ideal format for this uh, this film, um, but yeah, I uh, I have I have quite a lot of affection for it. I would have I would I like Sony's handhelds. They were like it's an interesting little sort of substrand for them, just quite poorly timed with the rise of mobile gaming. And um, they've like you say the USPs that that console naturally sort of uh, figured out really weren't like mainstream friendly. So uh, it was just kind of a doomed enterprise, particularly when they stopped making games for it themselves. But um, yeah, it's it's almost like. It's it's just a little bit too early for like everyone being like as indie game literate as they are now. But like, mm. the appetite now is just it's just different, you know. That's why you know that is definitely a a string to the Switch's bow. It's just there's such an appetite for that. There are you know there are so many games being made, not you know digital only, not in the kind of AAA space that you know a, a place where you can just easily access to them that you don't have to sit at a pc is really attractive the vita like i think a lot of people who owned a vita are basically like early adopters of that kind of mindset which now way more people have it's so much more mainstream so you know, yeah yeah it was it was a cool thing for sure that's totally true yeah i could see yeah there's a whole bunch of games that um i could see doing doing well on switch that would have been great on um on vita might maybe mm-hmm. it might be worth its own um its own episode down the line maybe if we hit like an anniversary or something mm. definitely not a write-off but um yeah i thought the um other thing i thought i'd mention matthew before we get to some um sort of game recommendations was that playstation when it comes to digital games they launched their storefront with the um, launch of the PS3, basically. I, I think there might have been a PSP storefront that predates that, actually. But um, on PS3, Sony started trying to, like... I think a lot of the early days of Xbox 360 and PS3 was Sony and Microsoft figuring out what digital games looked like. And for mm. Sony, I think it was, like, finding and publishing games that would that we would eventually understand to be, like, more kind of indie-style games. So mm. stuff like Flow, for example smaller projects over time they did make some good ones and it was um 
I would say one of the rare bright spots of early days of covering the PS3 was that they would like intersperse disappointments like Leia and um, Haze with uh, genuinely good little digital games. At the same time, I think Xbox Li- Xbox Live Arcade was taking off, and I think Microsoft had splashier games on that front. So Sony didn't get like mm. loads of credit for it. The PS3 wasn't that successful, but. Yeah, they uh, they they certainly like built something good, and they had games with an identity. Yeah, did they did they actually like you know working on those Macs? Did they actually like push them to you? Like you know, did they ever do like preview events? Like, or was it? You know, my memory of covering digital stuff on Endgamer was very much like we bought it when it came out. You no, know? they were actually like they they sent out review code and preview code and stuff. Like, um, mm. yeah, like uh, I remember playing. Um, I, I think I remember playing early builds of like Echo Chrome and calling all cars. I remember they brought down and yeah, mm. they, they they pushed that stuff for sure. Like it wasn't, um, yeah, it didn't sort of come out of nowhere. Like uh, I think they did consider them like first party games, but it's interesting because my understanding is now Sony doesn't really make those kind of games and um, like neither does Microsoft really. And I think instead uh, console manufacturers are more into teaming up for like either an exclusive release on that format or like a marketing agreement or something like that yeah um, i mean that's that's like that that's definitely idea xbox's deal like you kind of i don't know if they'd necessarily push you specifically for exclusivity but you know they'll take you to you know indie game expos and e3 or whatever and in exchange for kind of being associated with you the idea that they were that sony used to commission these types of games is quite interesting but um yeah, a lot of the best ones, uh, like I say, like Journey and um, Unfinished Swan and stuff like that, you can play on PS4. There are a couple of highlights in our next section that I will pick out that I think um, people should uh, check out. So, yeah, that's uh, those are my thoughts on the uh, digital side of PlayStation, Matthew. Anything else to add before we progress? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Great. This is what amazing audio is this. <laughs> yeah, well, and the, that the end of content. Um, uh, I am... I will say this, I am looking forward uh, to hearing some of these games because this is a bit of a blind spot for me. So, um, yeah, we should uh, see what you got. Yeah, so in the next section, we're going to fire through. I've basically got like 10 things that I think are worth downloading on either PS3, uh, PS Vita or PSP, though I doubt many people are using the latter, to download before Sony basically closes these storefronts. I hope the person who stole the PSP from our house is uh, listening to this podcast so they can get some good wrecks. It's good to get that um, that anecdote out for the third time and uh, <laughs> give it a little bit more mileage from that story. It's uh, <laughs> to be honest, though, it is a good story. Yeah, he's got he's got my PSP in one hand and the family Dyson vacuum cleaner in the other hand. <laughs> oh, so sp- what a specific burglar! Wow, that's like there this, are- is, this is a true story, right? When they 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 actually did catch the the person and. This is going to sound like bullshit, but I swear this is true. They bought like f- <laughs> they bought like five Dysons to my parents' house, right. and my mum had to identify her Dyson from a lineup of Dysons, <laughs> like unusual suspects. That's true. Uh, where did they? I mean, where did they get? It the was other- to make sure that they got like it was like you know. This Dyson was this put to make sure they'd got the right person who'd stolen the thing. I think it was like, which of these Dysons is yours? Wow, it's like, yeah. I like the idea that like uh, that that's number four officer, and then like all the other Dysons leave. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, I had like one more PSP related story that I kind of oh, thought. Okay, I'd so I've derailed our PSP chat with my terrible Dyson anecdote. <laughs> no, no, this is just to uh, kind of like I, I was kind of obsessed with getting the most out of the PSP um, when it wasn't. It didn't have particularly great games, and about 2006, I kind of got one because um, P- uh, Liberty City Stories came out. And that was obviously like this um, GTA sort of uh, sort of spin-off game set in Liberty City, the the uh, GTA Three setting with a new story, new characters. Um, a very impressive uh, console for the time. It was an entire GTA game squeezed onto a handheld with no compromises, like a 3D GTA game. Um, but to be honest, it wasn't all that really. Like it was, um, it actually kind of highlighted how tired the PS2 formula was getting for the uh, older GTA games. But um, I remember after that, I had almost like nothing to play. And I became obsessed with trying to get entire seasons of TV shows onto my PSP. Um, oh, no. And like, I, I, just to kind of demonstrate how much spare time I had to waste in the noughties, I, I got like an entire like three discs of the OC season one onto my PSP. I spent like an afternoon ripping them from the DVDs, <laughs> converting them, putting them on there. And when I went to switch it on, Watched episode one. Uh, the audio was out of sync with the video for every single episode, and I, <laughs> I reckon I wasted three days on that. Um, so yeah, that's my story. But to be honest, it can't compare to your anecdote about like identifying a Dyson from a lineup of Dysons. I mean, Jesus. That reminds me of I, I used to have a little Creative Zen media player. I still have got it actually, and that's got a tiny, tiny screen. I mean, the screen is like, if it's like. Two inches across, I'd be amazed if it's even that. Um, so, and uh, I remember putting a, an episode of Sons of Anarchy on it, <laughs> and it's like, do you want to watch Sons of Anarchy the size of a postage stamp? <laughs> what a terrible, terrible idea that was. I thought, oh, this will keep me, this will keep me entertained on a flight. Um, and it's a double whammy because it's so small, it's it's almost unwatchable, and it's also Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> I watched um, the first two seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I watched on an iPod. Um, and <laughs> I, I realised like, how old that makes me sound now. Um, like That sounds like something that a, a pensioner did like 50 years ago. Um, but yeah, on a holiday in Spain, I watched uh, two seasons of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, turning my iPod sideways. What a time to be alive. Um, so there you go. As uh, Enough stories about us being relics of the mid-noughties, Matthew. Let's um, <laughs> move on to the next section and uh, talk about some games. Welcome back, Matthew. It's time to oh, talk thanks. about <laughs> it's time to talk about some digital stores. Is that exciting to you? Yeah, well, definitely. If I'm going to get some good wrecks to get downloaded. Yeah. So, okay, here's how I've done this. Right. So, I've picked out about nine. I think there are like nine things here. There's like I've either done games or series that I think mm-hmm. are worth spotlighting on the PS um, PlayStation Vita or PS3 stores before they go. Uh, you can go download them and. Um, yeah, I think these are like worth playing. And then after that, I've got like a whole bunch of honourable mentions of stuff that you can only get on 
these formats uh, digitally. Some you can buy in box form, but not in a way that's like easy or practical. Uh, that are worth kind of like thinking about, I guess, or, or other just bringing to your attention. Like, um, mm. I don't want to recommend everything because I don't want people to turn into like mad hoarders like me and just end <laughs> up with loads of bullshit and think, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So then I'll have to put you on trial in Game Court. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's already going to happen again. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I just bought uh, another code on DS for £8.98 yesterday, Matthew. Oh, well, so, that's, um, I mean, that's not guilty. That's a good purchase. Oh, well, there we go. So uh, oh, we're blowing our good content already. Um, oh, I know. All right, so I'll kick off. Um, so first up is The Last Guy on PS3. Uh, people who listen to the Mailbag episode will know that I mentioned this. It's a game set on like a Google Earth photos of real places. And uh, you're essentially helping uh, to save survivors, like a top-down game. There are survivors being like guarded by these kind of bug alien things, and you have to gather the survivors and save them. This arcade game that... Um, was like a an early HD game that actually looked really nice. It's the the aesthetic of it being real places is quite odd, um, but this is a kind of true oddball sort of like PlayStation download exclusive. When I thought about this, I didn't want to just recommend all of the obscure stuff because I don't think all of it is great. Um, mm. But this is one where I think if people play it, they will at least find it interesting, if not amazing. It was well reviewed at the time, but um, so yeah. Can you can can you? Does it take specific backgrounds, or does it, like... How does the map element of it work? Oh, no, it's specific backgrounds, so the levels are built around the um, different photos of the places they've taken. Um, right. Yeah, so it's not like you're... Um, it's not like it's auto-downloading uh, new levels as oh, you right, go. so it's, it's, it's like, like Flight Simulator or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it is not that complex, I'll be honest. It hasn't got an entire simulation of the world in it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're like, I want to go to Basingstoke next. Yeah, exactly. It's not. I'm afraid it's not like that. I think it's mostly, mostly Japanese settings they picked for this. Um, but yeah, the last guy that's available on PS3. It's not that expensive. Uh, I quite like this game. It was it was quite interesting for the time. This is like of the ones I've got here, probably the most like borderline like um, sort of like I know whim purchase recommendation. The rest I think are like um, completely solid. Uh, so. Next up, Matthew, I've got um, Persona and Persona 2 and Persona 3 Portable. So the PS Vita is actually like the only console where you can play every Persona game. Minus five, of course. But like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was Persona 4 Golden is like the best reviewed game on the system, I believe. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. And also like a game that I hear from people, it's on PC now, but it's definitely like at home on Vita more than it's at home on PC is my understanding. Do you think that's yeah, fair? I, I'd say again, like I was saying about the visual novels, there's there's something about like the pace and the sort of tone of it. It just suits portable play really nicely. Like you can dip into that game, um, you know, enjoy like a little bit of the dungeoning or a little bit of the social play stuff. The the kind of the the character, you know, uh, portraits look absolutely amazing on the Vita screen. I mean, it looks nice on on PC, but it is a bit of a straight port. They've not done much to jazz it up and playing it on a massive screen like reveals quite a lot of rough edges Mm. um so the vita is definitely like the place for this game still i'd say yeah i can't vouch for um persona 1 and 2 but i've played quite a lot of persona 3 and um basically if you like persona 4 and 5 this is just a slightly more uh all the same ideas are there like the social simulation stuff juxtaposed with the kind of dungeon crawling 
uh, kind of like RPG stuff. Um, it's got good characters, Persona 3. Persona 4 and 5 are like better versions of this game, but like um, mm. this, uh, that is like a, that's another game, Persona 3 on um, PSP. Physically, that sells for like a lot of money on eBay. And um, it does have some uh, visual compromises from the PS2 version. And um, the PS2 version, you can actually play on PS3, uh, Persona 3, um, FES edition. That's available on the US PSN store. Um, okay. So a few of these I will um, I will caveat you can get on the US PSN store. Yeah, this is this is something I wanted to highlight. If you if you enjoy Persona Five, then and you want to check out the older games, like the PS Vita has basically a complete archive of them, and I think that's um, it will suck to get rid of that if they um, delete these PlayStation stores. So yeah. Mm. Next up, Matthew is God Hand, a game I discussed on Best Games of 2007. This mm. is available on PS3. My understanding is, apart from the PS2 physical copy, which sells for £40 plus on eBay, um, this is the only way to play this on a, on a, on a HD console. Like, um, you can't play it on PS4 or anything like that. It seems very unlikely that Capcom will ever revisit this game. They only <laughs> um, they revisited like Onimusha and only did one of those. So the idea that they would ever kind of remaster or re-release God Hand is preposterous. But... Mm. This is basically like a 3D sort of brawling game um, directed by Shinji Mikami, uh, made by Clover Studio. It is like a fantastic 3D beat-em-up with a, a real kind of like offbeat, slightly offensive sense of humor um, <laughs> that nice. I, I really rate. You build your own combos in the game. You, you Basically, as you go, um, you spend money unlocking uh, new components to your combos and they become more and more complex um, and uh, you build a rhythm of fighting that you like, a, like a real one-off game. Um, I think the closest relative to this is that game that Devolver Digital published, the modern kind of fighting game that the developers are making that Sifu game on um, PS5. Um, oh, Absolver. Yeah, Absolver. Like um, When I interviewed the developers about that E3, they said that God Hand was one of their um, points of inspiration. So that might help you to know whether this is worth picking up on um, PS3 or not. Um, do you have any thoughts on Godhand, Matthew? Um, I don't really remember much about this because, as as I think I've said on this podcast before, I'm pretty sure Rich Stanton still has my copy. Yeah, Rich Stanton, the um, unseen third um, host of this <laughs> no, I podcast. I think he denies this. No, I, I, think think in his, I think in his head, I've got his copy, <laughs> which isn't true. <laughs> I see. I thought he copped to it on Twitter that he'd um, taken your copy of this, but uh... I don't know. It's it's, it's all a bit tense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So God Hand, I, I really do recommend this. Like on PS3, like um, if you like sort of you know this kind of PS2 era of Capcom games, this is. I know like a lot of my peers have played this, but this is very likely um, a game that most people missed out on. Um, it was poorly reviewed by IGN, but that's like one of those IGN scores <laughs> that gets like dunked on over and over again. And, uh, you know, it was a long time ago. So, hey, you know, we all, we all, uh, we all grow and learn. <laughs> so next up, a uh, really obvious one, but Metal Gear Solid and the Metal Gear Solid Special Missions. So you can't actually buy, unless you go onto eBay and buy a physical copy of Metal Gear Solid... There is no other way to like buy this game brand new apart from the GOG version on PC, which I understand is the very basic, like, it's not considered the best version of the game by fans. It does look nice in the PS1 version, but if you want the PS1 original, which really holds up, I um, and you've got a PS Vita, I, I can't recommend this enough because the PS Vita is like the, it's like the best console for playing PS1 games. You can download them onto your PS3, but mm. I think that just like, if you're gonna, if you're kind of worried about this storefront closing, 
my recommendation is really to like find all to just go like A to Z and sorry A to Z A to Z in um, the PlayStation Store. Find all the old PS One games you like or are interested in, and then just like kind of grab those that way. That's kind of what I've been doing with the systems. So mm. yeah, Metal Gear Solid, um, obviously like a classic stealth game, and um, uh, has quite simple controls that work really well on the PS Vita. And uh, the Metal Gear Solid Special Missions, which are like the VR missions of the game that basically give you a bunch of challenges to do um, in the Metal Gear Solid universe. Not as essential, but again, as a pair, this this is by far the easiest way to play the best versions of these games. Mm. Um, the, the, only, the thing that gets me every time with the um, playing PS1 games on the Vita is when you start them up, it's got like the PlayStation 1 kind of boot up logo, which they've obviously like remade for the Vita because it's like crazy like hd and it looks so sharp and then whenever i see that i'm like wow this game's gonna look amazing and they do look fine but they are definitely like the logo is like separate to the to the game <laughs> so you get this incredibly sharp playstation one logo and then it goes into like fuzzo fuzzo vision for the game um but that's like just a weird quirk of the console yeah. I say that, I and mean, that specifically happened this morning, because for some reason, the only PlayStation 1 game I have on my Vita, uh, downloaded anyway, is um, Urban Chaos. Do you remember that? What, is this like the firefighter kind of like kind of game? Or am no, I no, thinking it's, of the it's, Rockstar it's, it's sort of I, IDOS, like police, like fire, I think it's like a, it looks a little bit like siphon filtery. Right, okay, yeah. But instead of setting people on fire, you put out fires. <laughs> yeah, instead of setting them on fire with an awesome taser. <laughs> yeah, it's basically, yeah, it's the flip It's the flip side of that game. You have to go around putting out the people who um, Gabe, or whatever his name is, has been setting on fire. Is that his name, Gabe? Gabe Logan, yeah. <laughs> Gabe Logan. <laughs> it was the late uh, 90s, Matthew. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know how good uh, we had it. <laughs> but, but yeah, I do need to... I, I, I need to... Uh, I need to pick your brains about good good PlayStation 1 games because that, that's a bit of a blind spot of mine. So. Yeah, well, I think a lot of them are just really obvious. So, um, you know, Metal Gear Solid 1 is an obvious one. Like, um, And I actually think that, like you say, a lot of these games do look old as hell and some of these are going to date better than others. But, like, uh, that's a really nice uh, little console for um, for playing. Like, uh, the size of the screen is kind of perfect for the resolution of PS1 games. Yeah. Um, didn't you play Resi 2 on uh, PSV2? Oh, yeah, I played, yeah, I played, yeah, I played Resi 2. Um, yeah, annoyingly, because Resi 2 is only available on the US store. Mm. And if you change region, it basically wipes. So I've basically got two accounts. I've got my UK account, which has got like everything I own except for Resi 2, and a US account, which only has Resi 2. So I played Resi 2 and then basically switched it back to the UK, and you know, that's Resi 2 gone again. So yeah, the PS3 is a better bet for this because um, right. all you've got to do is keep the account on the system and it will permanently give you access to those games that you've bought. So. Unlike the PS Vita, which, like Matthew says, yeah. seems to wipe. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, we'll circle back to Resi, though, because I think that's actually an interesting one to discuss. But I was curious, Matthew, like, do you think my verdict on Metal Gear Solid 1 playing it this way being is like the best way to play it? Did you ever play the Twin Snakes on GameCube? Do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, t- like, t- Twin Snakes is cool. I think Twin Snakes is really, really well done, but it's it's not, like... The, the style of Metal Gear is, is you know, the, the the original style of it is, is so kind of key to its appeal. Um, I would I would never say that, like, you know, t- Twin Snakes is a, is a complete substitute for it, by no means. Mm. Um, it's a curio. Yeah, I first played it on PC. I first played it on PC. We had Metal Gear Solid 1 on that, that PC version, and it's nice. But even then, like, 
You know, the texture of the thing, it, it's just like a definitive PS1-looking game. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense to own or own that original. I should go and buy this because I don't actually own it uh, on PS1. So. Oh, man, it's still terrific. Like, I think it arguably holds up a bit better than Metal Gear Solid 2 does because um, it's not as built around, like, 3D elements. And uh, mm. I'm sure, as I'm sure you remember, Metal Gear Solid 2 has things like first-person aiming and that top-down camera and stuff, and it's a kind of weird mix between 2D and 3D. Um, mm. I've got the 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 two of them though on the the Vita the the HD Metal Gear two and three. Yeah, that's worth highlighting. The the reason I didn't put it in this list is because obviously you can play that on Xbox. Um, it's backwards yeah. compatible with Xbox, but the um, that's worth highlighting. These are the the uh, HD editions of uh, the Metal Gear games on PS Vita are just lovely. Like they look fantastic mm. on that screen. Um, so mm. yeah, MGS two and three well worth playing as well. Um, so next up, this is a very Samba Roberts choice, is um, Dissidia Final Fantasy and Dissidia 012 Duodecim on um, PSP. So I mean, I will say fuck that name. So. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is actually one of like the strongest um, Final Fantasy spin-offs there they did. So ostensibly it was their kind of like effort to do a Smash Bros style team-up game where heroes from the different Final Fantasy games are all kind of merged together in one like big, very silly story. Um, but it's kind of comes down to these like one-on-one duels in arenas where you use abilities that are like tailored to the different characters that reference the different games and um, to kind of like beat uh, the different heroes and villains of other Final Fantasy games. So, you know, like um, in the case of uh, basically like Cloud can do like Cross Slash, for example, or like, um, you know, Sephiroth can do is sort of like, I think he can do like Meteor and things like that. And so... Um, you're basically doing like tons of these one-on-one encounters over and over again in like a row, but it's actually like a there's a really nice stop-start feel to the fights that suits the um, a handheld very well. The best part about it is that Dissidia Zero Twelve, the second one, actually comes with the entire campaign of the first one, so there's no need to buy both. You just buy the second one. But I kind of wanted to group them together so uh, people had an idea of why they were good. And um, I poured like a hundred hours into the first Dissidia, but my little brother played it for like three hundred hours. He really got oh into it. God. Um, I think it was one of those games that was quietly very popular. And then they brought out that one on PS4 that was like a three-on-three fighting game, and no one seemed to like it. And it just it was a, a real shame that they kind of missed what was good about this one. It was actually a, a legit good like hit them with a certain hit them with a circle attack, and then eventually batter them with your square attack kind of um, kind of game. Um, so yeah, I rate this. I rate these two. Did you ever play these, Matthew? Did they ever enter your orbit at all? No. Was there like there wasn't something to do with like rail grinding in these? Was there? Yep, that's right. Like um, the arenas were all based on uh, different Final Fantasy games. You could skate across these kind of like light kind of like bars to get to. to yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I I remember I remember someone showing this to me as like, oh wow, look at this. I mean, it's I, we've definitely said this on the podcast before, but like. Square Enix, uh, I think it was on the, maybe on the 3DS um, episode. Like they do, so, they do do a pretty amazing job of like throwing everything they've got at like wherever they particular, you know, wherever their games appear. Hmm. You know, they don't really phone it in. They they always produce some of like the best looking kind of maddest things on each respective platform. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know whether or not it's it's personally for me, I don't know, but I kind of dig a. Uh, I dig a publisher that doesn't just do it, do it cheap. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of um, PSP in particular. Uh, Square Enix seem particularly interested in doing um, like quite big, interesting games for it. So uh, I didn't actually highlight these as like um, personal favorites because they're not 
all necessarily my sort of thing but like um uh, the third birthday which is a parasite eve like continuation um that's not that essential it's like a it's not it's kind of a fairly rough shooter where your main character's clothes fall off as she gets uh shot or like damaged which is very silly it reminds me of the uh extras patrick stewart and then her clothes fall off kind of like um, <laughs> uh, thing but uh tactics ogre that's uh, a very let us all cling together i think that's like a remake of the original tactics ogre that um was very well reviewed on psp um that's probably worth picking up uh and that that breaks one of the golden rules which is the word cling should never be in your game title <laughs> yeah no game with cling will ever be at the top of the charts is there another example you've got of this matthew where cling is... no it's just a weird word isn't it <laughs> it's a bit of a weird word yeah um but yeah i am um, i think that the uh, some of the best like psp games that or the ones that i cover like crisis core uh final fantasy 7 that is actually not available digitally on um uh, PS Vita, so uh, I can't um, I can't recommend that you go out and download that because you can't actually do it. But the Dissidia games, they had a lot of like rearranged like Final Fantasy music. It's a really really good little bit of fan service. It's got music from every single one of the different games represented in here, which I think is like the first ten games in this one in the first one, and then um, goes up to twelve or th- no, thirteen because Lightning's in uh, that one. Thirteen games in the second one, so. If you like fan service from Final Fantasy and um, you know lots of voice acting from the different characters and seeing them interact, it's a it's a, a good little couple of games. Um, but yeah, uh, next up, Matthew, I've put the original Silent Hill here. So this is the same deal as uh, Metal Gear Solid, really, where there will be no way to play the original Silent Hill if Sony takes the store down. Um, this is the only way you can play it, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> so I think that I mean, like, obviously, we know Konami doesn't appear to be that bothered about how you can access its games maybe that's a bit harsh because they've been getting some of the older castlevania games onto um newer formats but certainly they don't seem as diligent with it as um people would like and uh yeah silent hill actually sells on ebay in the uk for more than 70 pounds now so um yeah as a ps1 kind of classic if you uh it's definitely not the best one it's like it's actually like a real step back to go to go back to it's a real step back from silent hill 2 and 3 which are excellent games but um yeah, a worthy uh, a worthy purchase. What do you think of this one? Uh yeah, I mean, like I say it's it's a, a kind of a key a key bit of um survival horror history. Um probably worth getting considering it's what's going to I know those PS1 games are like what, 5 quid or something on there. Yeah. Yeah, they're not much at all really. Um yeah, and Konami has basically like every classic Konami game is on there as well like um uh, Symphony of the Night and stuff like that. Um one I didn't put down here because that I think you can play on PS4 Symphony of the Night, so um, that's uh, easy to get hold of. But uh, so don't get don't get confused and accidentally buy Silent Hill the film, <laughs> which is it's the kind of thing which you can probably buy on there. <laughs> yeah, and if you're on eBay and you're actually trying to get a physical copy of Silent Hill, don't accidentally buy the Silent Hill film on a UMD um, because <laughs> UMD. Imagine like. Like, most defunct video formats have, like, an aura of cool around them. You know, like, if you've got a laser disc collection, no one's going to be, like, lame. Um, but if you've got a UMD collection, like, you should just chuck that in the sea. No one cares. Yeah, it's not going to be a way to, like, um, win the affections of, uh, I don't know, like, a person in your life. Um, they're very <laughs> cursed-looking things, UMDs. Um, which is why I'm recommending a few PSP games here to buy digitally on um, PS Vita because I actually don't think that tracking down UMDs on eBay is actually, I don't know, I don't like turning my old PSP on and putting a UMD in. The disc spinner thing in the in that console feels really fucking rickety and like that will definitely break at some point. 
Just the disc themselves look like they've got too many parts to them with that slightly see-through bit on it. They've n- I've never, ever been entirely comfortable with UNTs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this next one, Matthew, I, I've put Dino Crisis 1 and 2 here, but maybe this is a chance to highlight that the USPSN, um, generally speaking, has like a better collection of the um, fixed camera view PS1 Resi games than the uh, UK PSN does. Mm. Um, so you got uh, PS, you got a Resi 2 on there, but I believe all three of them are on there, the PS1 games. Um, and so, and Dino Crisis 1 and 2, which uh, I don't know if, pe- if listeners uh, necessarily know these games. They're pretty, um, pretty popular, pretty successful, but they are essentially like... Um, different versions of like the resi formula but with dinosaurs and like um kind of like dinosaur facilities and stuff like that but uh yeah they're more they're more kind of offbeat they're obviously like the um ps1 resi games you're taking a, a step down in terms of usability from like modern resident evil games but like um if you kind of grew up around this sort of era of games you'll probably still appreciate the dino crisis titles um yeah i i haven't played them and i always feel bad because um uh, definitely two anyway is uh, uh, Shooter Kumi's involved Mr Ace Attorney he wrote this one. Oh right I, d- I think I knew that because you told me that but does that um, yeah but do- it's, 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 it's yeah that's that's his that's what he does before Ace Attorney anyway he's wow. involved in those so I, I should probably get round and play these at some point yeah they're on USPSN like I say so um, oh, I can't I can't wipe my Vita again I just can't do it <laughs> have you got a PS3 at home Matthew uh oh, I'm I'm not plugging it in. I kind of <laughs> refuse to plug old stuff in because I don't want to have to put my hand down the back of the TV with all the cables. It's just too much. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that seems worth highlighting. And uh, finally, um, this if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a game on the US PlayStation Store and you have the exact intersection of interest that I do, then Parasite Eve is like a perfect kind of purchase. So. Um, it's an adaptation of a book. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book, Matthew. It feels like something you might have read, but um, oh, I haven't. No. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just it's by Charles Dickens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, no need to fact check that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like um, a Square Enix era, like a PS1 era Square Enix um, RPG, where like you kind of pause and battle, and then like um, choose to shoot at uh, enemies and stuff like that, but. With like Resident Evil vibes, you play mm. like a cop, and then like uh, I think on I think it's on New Year that um, New York goes wrong, and kind of like this sort of demon entity sort of takes over um, the city. And uh, yeah, it's not that long, but it's uh, like a great little curio. It has like those gorgeous um, Square Enix kind of like or SquareSoft uh, PS One era like uh, fixed backgrounds and and and, mm. character, and the character models look really good. So. Yeah, sort of like it's a Tetsuya Nomura character design game, but it's a bit more, a bit more mature than you get in his Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy designs. Like um, a really odd game from Square Enix, like an odd little series for them to have done at this time. But um, yeah, I think that I don't think people would regret picking this up, and it's another one that I would be surprised if Square Enix um, salvaged anywhere else. But uh, mm. what do you think of this one, Matthew? Any thoughts on Parasite Eve? I've, again, I've never played it. It's it's a game which has only ever existed like on the pages of Games Master magazine, but <laughs> I always thought it'd look quite cool, which is basically how I felt about most PS1 games. Yeah, uh, fair enough. But um, no, this is uh, this is like legit good. I think this is um, this is worth picking up if you got a PS3 anyway, because um, as Matthew mentions, doing um, US PSN games on uh, PS Vita is a bit too much of a pain in the ass. So mm. yeah, um, but Matthew, you had one here that you wanted to highlight as well. <laughs> yeah, this was <laughs> so 
I was looking over the, when you said we were going to do this episode. I was like, oh, I don't really have a huge amount to contribute because I, you know I, I didn't do a lot from this era. What I actually forgot is there was a period of time where I was writing basically a PlayStation digital reviews column for Gamesmaster. Mm. Um, so, because and I only worked this out from my library of stuff that I own. In that there's a weird like year period where suddenly there's tons of like PS minis, uh, PS one. Uh, you know ps1 games uh and some like ps3 digital things so it all yeah i I literally don't remember doing this as a freelance thing so that's that's how big an impact it made on me but one did jump out at me which is this is a ps mini so only this this really will once it's gone it's gone um cool it's called a space shooter for two bucks and it's literally two. It, that's how much it costs. It's two dollars or one pound fifty nine or something. Actually, when when I did this, we probably had an amazing currency rate, so it was probably a quid or something. <laughs> um, little scrolling space shooter, uh, not rogue like a bit unfair. But when you when you die, you you go you you maintain your permanent upgrades across the campaign, and but you're back to the start. But you're basically powering up this little ship to be like super powerful. Um, quite funny i remember it um i have no idea who made it um it's it's not a big you know studio or anything might have just been like a little one bloke or something um but with a slightly kind of future armory sense of humor like the main the main guy was a little bit kind of um uh who's the really like preening space captain in future armor zap brannigan zap brannigan it's kind of got a bit of like zap brannigan energy it's kind of like Captain's Log kind of voiceover, but quite funny, like, for, like, less than £2. Uh, I remember this being pretty good, um, but I have re-downloaded it to play it again just to make sure that it stands up, which I should have done before this episode. Um, <laughs> but I remember that being quite good, and that's, yeah, I, none of the other PSP minis, uh, PS minis or whatever they're called, jump, jump out at me for that reason, or that they are available in, like, other formats, so... Yeah, so I um there was a, a sort of mini sort of like shooter series that I enjoyed. I don't actually if they were PS minis, but the Velocity games. I don't know if you played those, Matthew. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Those are legit good, good games. Yeah, those are games. I've got that... one on the, the PS4 one. Is it? I think it's Velocity Two X. Yeah, so that was the other reason I didn't actually highlight it in my list, is because I, I did play this on Vita a fair amount. Um, but yeah, you can play them on a, a more modern format, so they're not like lost to time. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are cool little games. Uh, I got recommended Ooh. those by uh, Chet and John's uh, Finite Gla- Gaming Playlist um, podcast, which is uh, you know obviously an influence of ours in our endless top ten lists. But um, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I didn't have um, any other things I wanted to like firmly recommend. Those are the ones I wanted to recommend because I think that like once they're gone, that most of those are like from big series. But once they're gone, I think that it will it will really suck to not have access easy access to these older games and these mega popular series. So yeah, that was kind of why I highlighted that. But I've also got a fairly exhaustive list of like honourable mentions and oddities here. Um, so I actually like bought a bunch of these this week or re-downloaded them um, just to kind of remind myself what I thought of them. And so that kind of shaped where they ended up, where they ended up in my like recommendations that I just went through or on this list. And most of them mm. ended up on this list because we're talking about games, particularly on PS3, that are all around a decade or more uh, old now. So um, mm. not all of them are going to hold up. So I'll fire through them, Matthew. 
First up is Calling All Cars, which uh, was a, a kind of like a PlayStation Network download-only game uh, directed by David Jaffe, who worked on God of War and someone I would never follow on Twitter. But um, nonetheless, <laughs> it's a cell-shaded car game where you uh, chase thieves and uh, you are competing with other cars, essentially, to grab thieves and take them back to the um, to the police station first and you want to try and catch as many of these like robbers as you uh, as you can cell shaded graphics and obviously because Jaffe is the um, twisted metal guy you can also pick up like different power-ups to um, uh, shoot the rival cars and um, kind of like get them to drop their robbers and then uh, you pick them up and take them back to the station mm. yourself so very simple arcade game looks quite nice mega cheap i think it's two pound 49 on playstation 3 so mm. it's not that much um but i played this at the time uh, a bit but um yeah you can play a multiplayer as well i uh i, I picked it up this week it's okay but I, I don't think um people need it in their lives um did you ever play uh, this is a diversion um that Yuji Naka playing um, catch game on the Wii, uh, the WiiWare game. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the the, the weird little um, where my theory doesn't entirely hold up. He did Let's Catch, which are quite like. I think it didn't. He also do. Le- I think he did a game called Let's Tap. Yeah, Let's which Catch is, is quite a nice game, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite chill actually. We we'll go. We'll, we'll probably bring those up when we get into the games of those respective year podcasts, but. He did because I'm pretty sure his studio was Probe was the name of it, mm. and he did the he did the Wii game which came with a cardboard box that you had to put the Wii remote on the cardboard box and then he controlled it by tapping the box, which is actually is rad as hell. Um, wow! And means he isn't very Richard Kelly esque. Um, <laughs> but then it all goes a little bit Rodia the Sky Soldier <laughs> um, <laughs> and Balan Wonder Wonderland. So yeah. um, I don't know. Maybe the jury's out. Maybe I've been too quick to judge. Yeah. Didn't he also do like a platforming game involving not a hedgehog, but something else? The squ- Ivy the Squirrel or something? Was that one of his? Oh, maybe. I mean, he's into all that, isn't he? Yeah. Well, um, anyway, nonetheless, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's catch. I look forward to discussing. Let's that was... stop dunking on Naka for a bit. <laughs> yeah, let, let's catch. I remember being a game where like NPCs told you their sort of problems while you played catch with them in the park. Yeah, it was quite it, nice. It's one, it's one of the weird, quite good WiiWare games. Yeah, cool. I, yeah, we should definitely talk about that when we get to it. Um, yeah, so next up is Tokyo Jungle. This is one of those games where I feel like you can probably get the measure of it by watching it on YouTube. You don't necessarily need to buy it. It's fairly well known. It's like a permadeath survival game set in like post-apocalyptic Tokyo where uh, you play as different animals and uh, the humans are all gone. They all mysteriously vanished one day and now it's like just, um, yeah, like like uh, the name suggests, a jungle out there. So you pick uh, one of a different range of animals. You can play as herbivores as well as um, like uh, predators and stuff. And uh, while you start with, like, a Pomeranian, you can build up to some um, uh, bigger and uh, scarier creatures. And basically, you're trying to, like, (laughs) keep your hunger meter up and stuff like that. It has survival game mechanics. It's much more, like, it's a bit more of a kind of Japanese arcade game, really. Like, um, Mm. you sort of, um, there's a bit of stealth in there, too. You can kind of hide in, like, tall grass. And then um, the idea is you try and get, like, um, if you... If you can sneak up on an enemy and attack them, you can do like an instacle attack and then um, you eat their flesh and then move on. And that even means that, yes, a Pomeranian can eat the flesh of like a wolf or whatever. And that's like (laughs) considered part of the game's ecosystem. I think this actually, Matthew, the reason I didn't put in essential games is because I think 
it kind of counts. It's a bit too borderline novelty to be like a firm recommendation from me. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like one of those films which is like better in a trailer. When yeah, you look at it and go, <laughs> that's classic. And like Southland Tales. Like, like Southland Tales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I played this. I played this this morning, and it's like it's definitely like it's definitely like well made. It's um, it's yeah. It's just uh, it's just I don't. I think it's something you'll probably like pick up and play like twice, but. Uh, because Did Sony made this, yeah, Sony Japan made this. Uh, well, no, oh, I see. This is this because they they've sort of gone defunct now, haven't they? Yeah, I think it might have been like uh, it might have been published by Sony Japan, but made by an external developer. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, they they have kind of gone defunct. But yeah, they've um, they've had a weird sort of output over the last few years, haven't they? The kind of stuff they've been making, or like yeah, the bit they've kept is the bit that makes um, the Astro stuff. Um, but uh, mm. yeah. So yeah, Tokyo Jungle. It's not that expensive. I think it's about ten quid, maybe slightly more. But um, yeah, I don't necessarily recommend it. But it's definitely a game worth looking at. It's one of the the oddest things that got um, brought over from Japan on the PS3. A genuine like curio. Um, it gave you some good tweets this morning as well. Yep, uh, I think I think that's <laughs> there. You go. That's it. If you were uh, if 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 good tweets are all you're after, then by all means buy it. But um, yeah. So next up yeah, is a, lo- a lot of meme text in that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, either because it's been weirdly translated on purpose or accidentally, but um, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I actually like the uh, what the one of the things I put in our show notes here was like one of the tutorial prompts it gives you is um, when the bite icon appears over the beagle, evade then counter. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of game we're talking about here. Um, and then the game does indeed like label a pomeranian as a predator, which itself is quite amusing. So um, yeah, <laughs> next up. Uh, Vagrant Story on PS1. So this is a game that I've like played a bit of, but not enough to truly recommend. I think I found it like quite dated and hard work, but I think it's worth highlighting to people because a lot of people discuss this as one of the best RPGs on the system. It's a Matsuno game with uh, designs by I, character designs by I think it's Akihiko Yoshida. Aren't all the heads massive? Uh, that well, not. Not really. I mean, they look okay, kind maybe of like. I think it's something else. I think they're correctly proportioned, um, but the character okay. designs are very, are very, um, are very specific. Um, so, yeah, I um, it's kind of like a, a bit of a precursor to Final Fantasy XII. This one shares the kind of Ivalice uh, sort of setting, but um, yeah, not one I massively got into, but probably worth picking up on PS3 or Vita because I can't see Square putting it anywhere else. Okay, so next up is uh, Motorstorm RC. Um, so this was a spin-off of the MotorStorm games on PS3. A kind of, I think, a slightly underrated series of uh, racing games. The second one, Pacific Rift, is a great game and might actually be on my um, top ten for when we get to that year. Uh, so Ooh. this was like a kind of you. They did a spin-off where you control these remote control cars going around a track. It feels like a clear throwback to the likes of like RC Pro-Am or Micro Machines. Mm. Um, I've not actually played RC Pro-Am, but I understand that's what they're kind of going for um, mm. just from the language in the game. You can play this on PS3. It's better on PS Vita. It's quite a pared-down, very basic-looking game. Race like these cars top-down around this race tr- around these racetracks, and it's very simple, quite cheap. It's about Fiverr. It's, it's kind of like a mobile phone-sized game made for the PS Vita by an in-house Sony studio. So it's like polished for what it is but um mm. i don't think it's essential again like it's uh, you'll probably play it like a couple of times and get your feel but it's a an interesting exclusive that will like many of these disappear if sony shuts the store down um, yeah, yeah yeah so 
Next up is Lingering Shadows, a game I mentioned on the previous episode. Uh, this is one you can definitely get your fill of on YouTube. I don't think you, ne- you need to buy it, but it was kind of like a demo scene uh, game where it was like this interactive video of all these like smoky kind of like uh, versions of animals moving across this weird sort of cityscape. And then you right. kind of like pause the video to pull out secrets from within the video, like a kind of like a hidden object game where you were kind of moving the video backwards and forwards. Um, it's a weird thing, but I think the video itself is only like seven minutes long. So the game isn't very long. You can do it in about two hours. I don't think you necessarily need to buy this. But uh, yeah, it was an example of the kind of like weird experimental stuff that Sony was doing on PS3 at the time. Um, so worth looking up. Um, next up is Loco Roco Coco Recho, which I believe is on PS now. This was a really strange game. I remember on Play Magazine, we didn't know what this was. It was a PS3 game. Um, obviously, we knew what Loco Roco was. It's like a tilt the screen and make your little blob men get to the other side of the level. A really nice 2D mm. platformer. I put it in my best games of 2006. Um, yeah, and it, you can get it on PS4 now. So, you know, it's uh, it's out there still. But um, this was like almost like a screensaver. Like you put it on in the background and then if it was night or day, the game would change. But um, <laughs> essentially, it, it has no point to existing, in my opinion. I remember... <laughs> We just all thought, oh, they've made a PS, they've made like a Loco Roke game for um, PS3, and we got it, realized it wasn't that, and then it was like, oh, and then we just kind of forgot about it. So, uh... <laughs> the idea of this image of all these sort of games journos gathered around a TV, just scratching their head, trying to work out, like, is it broken? Do we not understand it? What's the deal here? <laughs> yeah, my recollection is you can't really interact with it all that much. Yeah, but still, hey, it was a it was a thing that happens to all of us. It reminded me when I was when I was a kid, I used, uh, used to go into my friend Craig's house, and he had an Amiga, and um, I remember for ages he had a copy of Worms, and what we didn't understand was like you had to press a button to actually get it because it was basically stuck on like a you know like a holding screen, um, and then you press like F five to start the game or whatever. But we never we didn't know that, and I remember him saying like, "Oh, I've got this really weird thing where you put this disc in, and then these like worms fight, and you just watch these worms fight." <laughs> and we were watching it, going, "Oh, yeah, that's weird! What a weird thing! Like, what? Who wonder who? What? What? What this is all about?" And then um, it was only when we worked out how to actually start the game uh, that it then became like an obsession. We played it like endlessly for two years. <laughs> um, uh. The, the idea that you thought that so he thought the entirety of Worms was just watching the background of that um, menu screen when you turn it <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, wow. I mean, because I, I didn't. I don't think it had like a press space to start queue, or it, if it did, it was so like, oh, it, you know. And it, <laughs> the mad thing was, it had he had the instruction manual, which had like all the game in it. <laughs> So, like, if you read that, you'd have been like, well, this doesn't reflect this at all. And also, I think it was only reading the instruction manual that we worked out you had to press a button to make it, to actually get in, to, you know, get off the, the whatever it's called. What's that called? Not the tempting screen, the... Uh... I don't know. Uh, it's, there's a word for it, like what, the, what you know, the, the kind of demo reel that plays when you on an arcade machine, whatever that's called. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't know. Sizzle reel type thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Sure, sizzle reel. But we thought it was just uh, like yeah, an interactive like <laughs> worm simulation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so, it yeah. was. Uh, I guess it was. I'm like... guessing there wasn't a hidden level to Loco Roco Coco Retro. <laughs> well, when I was looking up, it uh, people were mentioning that it had trophies and stuff, but it was. Um... <laughs> It was described as an interactive screensaver. Next up is Infamous Festival of Blood. I've put this down because 
Uh, the infamous games like um, on PS3, I, I think the second one's actually pretty good. The first one's really dated and janky looking. I don't think you necessarily need to play it. Um, I'm only mentioning this for like completionist's sake. It's like the only place you can play this basically like standalone Halloween themed spin-off they did of this superhero open world game on PS3. Um, you can actually you can you can buy a disc copy that's got it on there, but the disc copy is very expensive. So if for some reason you're an infamous diehard, this is a thing you can buy. Imagine um, that being your identity, <laughs> your gamer identity. I'm an infamous diehard. I've got a tattoo of coal. I feel like the existence of uh, Insomniac's Spider-Man game basically killed infamous for sony i feel like after that they were like well we can just put an actual superhero in this and not just like a bold dude who speaks with a gruff voice who, um, was, the, who was the who was the actor who was the main character in that and he was from something weird on tv that of the time like he was a bit part in like yeah Star or something. i know what you're alluding to you're talking about the guy who played betty's brother in mad men that's the guy um, yeah him <laughs> yeah it was like he's like a blonde guy who's in like five episodes or something like that but <laughs> yep he was um oh my yeah. god now i'm just imagining infamous with any of the other madmen characters <laughs> as the main character well look i mean if you want if you want to play a game with madmen characters you just play ellen noir like um, <laughs> yeah but that's like madmen characters and you have to go around telling you know you're like oh awesome it's this guy i love him from madmen and then you have to tell him that his daughter's been killed <laughs> It's like it's quite a grim interaction. Oh, man. It's not like oh, legendary. We're going to have a, a crazy party. We're going to get really drunk with <laughs> this guy from with Paul from Mad Men. Instead, it's oh, I'm afraid like a child molested murdered your kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be honest, Infamous Festival of Blood is not that. Just to be <laughs> frank, do you know what though? Like Infamous is really from that generation of games where developers realize oh people like mass effect so we should have moral choices in our game but all of the moral choices were like um keep this bridge from collapsing or collapse this bridge on purpose and kill 80 civilians <laughs> um and it's like oh you're like you're like i know i shouldn't but i really want to collapse this bridge yeah. it's a great moral dilemma <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm there stroking my chin going wow what a complex depiction of morality <laughs> like um, oh god i shouldn't kill all these people but i do hate bridges <laughs> <laughs> it was similar was it army of two which had like do you want to kill this panda or not or something <laughs> is that the 40th day the second one um yeah that had like a thing in a zoo where the, i thought the moral decision was like basically like do you want to stick a chainsaw through some kind of endangered species <laughs> I, I haven't played it <laughs> if, if, if that much isn't clear <laughs> yeah i infamous festival of blood there you go. Um, I, I, like, not a recommendation, but a thing you can only get on um, PS3's uh, PlayStation Store, as far, far as I know. Um, so, Resident Evil Chronicles HD Collection is the next one, Matthew. So, this one's a mm. bit more in your wheelhouse. They basically ported yeah. the two Umbrella Chronicles um, games to uh, from Wii to PS3 and HD and uh, yeah. have PlayStation Move support for each one. Um, do you rate these? Uh, I rate the second one, Dark Side Chronicles. Mm. Um because it's based on it, it covers because they're basically light gun games that cover you know the red the the, the original games remade as light gun games and Dark Side Chronicles is Resident Evil Two and um, Code Veronica I think mm. uh, and they're just more action heavy games they make more sense as light gun games than playing Resident Evil One as a light gun game which is quite sedate. 
Um, it's just truer to the spirit and like all the mad bosses, you know, all the mad stuff with the tyrant or whatever in, in um, Resident Evil 2, like just works really, really well as a light gun game. Um, yeah, I genuinely rate Dark Side Chronicles. Yep. So if you've got a PlayStation Move controller, which um, if you have a PSVR headset, you'll have one of those around. Um, you can use that to play this. Is my understanding. I've not. I've actually. I've actually only played this with a controller, um, and even right. then, only briefly. But I. Um, I did play. I did play a bit more of the second um, of these Umbrella Chronicles games on Wii, and remember the Krauser stuff from the start fairly well in that jungle where you're with. Um, yeah, you see Leon and Krauser teaming up. But uh, mm. yeah, that's a, a thing that you can you can buy here. I can't imagine. I mean, obviously you can buy the physical copies on Wii, but on PS3 um, there will be no other way to play these games. Is my understanding if they they go away. So next up is Savage Moon. Um, so back when tower defense games were huge, I forgot just how big this genre was. Um, but it kind of blew up in the late noughties and then kind of died off when people realised they're all sort of the same thing. <laughs> so this was one of the stronger ones. This is a Savage Moon. Um, came out on PS3. You can actually play it on PS now. So, you know, when they've closed the store, you'll still be able to play it. Um, I think it's... Uh, I, I played it again this week. It, I really liked it at the time and gave it a score in the 80s. Um, kind of like a, a sci-fi, more kind of aliens-y um, sort of looking kind of tower defense game. I think it's I think it's pretty strong for what it is, but it looks a bit looks a bit jank by today's standards. But um, wanted to flag it as a kind of like, oh, remember when tower defense games were a thing? And, you know, people were kind of doing different stuff with it there was a south park tower defense game on xbox that was a you know i think a slightly disappointing but uh yeah there were too many of them and then people got sick of them do you remember this genre matthew do you ever get into any yeah, of these yeah yeah ne- never my cup of tea um but yeah they were just everywhere everywhere God, yeah too many yeah way too many um so yes uh next up is um muramasa rebirth i've not played this but i wanted to highlight the fact that if you have a ps vita then vanillaware uh, the developers of uh cult hit 13 sentinels aegis rim their games are most of their games are actually on ps vita um but this is the only one muramasa which was a wii game that um is only available on ps vita and not ps4 so uh yeah matthew you, yeah. you played the original muramasa a little bit right yeah, I, I actually do have this on Vita. I'd completely forgotten that I had it. Um, yeah, quite like I like all the Vanillaware games, like beautifully sort of painterly uh, visuals. Uh, it's like a two D sort of hack and not hack and slash sort of brawler game. Like it's quite combo heavy, like a sort of two D uh, kind of, sort of not Devil May Cry is the wrong kind of vibe, but you know it's big aerial combos and stringing things together with um, quite a cool kind of uh, sort of samurai sort of sword energy to it. It's structurally it's a little odd. Like there's a lot of like I remember there being like quite a lot of weird backtracking and whatnot in it. Um, so I, I don't know if it's like I wouldn't say it's like an action classic, but it, it looks beautiful. And I booted it up just before this podcast. Actually, it looks really really nice on. Um, on the Vita as well, and that uh, I think the reason they didn't they ported it only to Vita was they they liked the OLED screen and the the how the colours popped on it. So it's certainly a, a gorgeous thing. Yeah, like you can actually buy this physically, but it sells for a lot of money on eBay. So it's um, and I think it's only about sixteen quid or eighteen quid on um, PS Vita. So it's um, it's one yeah. I've picked up because I've enjoyed Odin's Sphere in the past. Um, the other ones you can get from Vanillaware on um, Vita are uh, Odin's Sphere and Dragon's Crown Pro. Um, 
I can't speak for Dragon's Crown Pro. I've not played that, but I uh, I have played Odin Sphere and I really rate it. So um, yeah, I think they I think they share a lot of DNA, um, Muramasa and Odin Sphere. So um, yeah, if you're curious about their games, the PS Vita has uh, has basically like a almost complete history of them. Next it has up, very impressive wheat. <laughs> Corn, corn, or is it wheat? Fields of wheat or fields of corn um, wafting ah. in the wind. Very painterly wheat, ah, yes. um, which, you know, was a big plus. Yes, uh, Fields of Wheat, my favourite Sting song. Um, nonetheless, <laughs> uh, yes, so. <laughs> such a bad joke. Uh, okay, so the other thing I wanted to highlight was that if you. Um, if you got into uh, Shin Megami Tensei off the back of the Persona games, and I, d- I did a bit in the um, in the noughties. I played Digital Devil Saga, and I played um, Nocturne, which is Shin Megami Tensei 3. Um, they basically have every single PS2 era uh, Shin Megami Tensei game across the US PSN stores and the uh, UK one. So you can actually buy, I believe you can buy Persona 4, the PS2 version, if you wish. Um, the, the golden one has more stuff in it, is my understanding. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but basically, like if you are curious about this series, you can buy them all on PS3. Nocturne is the one I rate, but they are actually remastering that this year. You can play that on Switch and PS4 uh, later this year, and PC, I think. So that's cool. That's like a very kind of like moody, sort of like goth, gothic sort of game. But um, like all of the uh, sort of like the Persona games, features a similar types of like weird imagery and strange enemies and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and also features an appearance from Dante in the Devil May Cry games. Nocturne is the one I recommend. But I, I, I played a little bit of Digital Devil Saga. It's a similar sort of deal. It's games set in the the internet, taken over by demons, I believe, was the plot. Um, mm. Very silly, but like solid Japanese RPGs. Finally, um, my honourable mentions list, uh, Echo Chrome. So this is an MC Escher-esque looking puzzle game, um, which does a really novel thing where basically your little kind of like dude is walking along these platforms and they the paths ahead of the character will click together based on the perspective so it has that kind of impossible architecture thing of mc escher but but when you when you tilt like two staircases to click together the character in game will the game will recognize that you've done that and the character will walk across the new staircase you've created. So you're like permanently twisting the level around to get en- to get your guy to go to different places. Um, it's a novel little puzzle game. It's cool. I, actually, this one didn't get salvaged and put on PS4 is my understanding. There's a, I think there's like a sequel as well. Um, but it's on PSP and PS3. Um, I like it. I think that probably um, if you kind of like this sort of puzzle game, there's, uh, there's so there are so many indie games that are enough like this that you'll find it you'll find mm. yourself satisfied by other offerings. But it's one I wanted to highlight. It's like a kind of, uh, you know, another game that will basically vanish when um, the store closes. So, uh, yeah. Is this one you ever played, Matthew? Um, I think I ha- I own it, but I haven't played it. Mm. So I should probably remedy that. Yeah, it's such a simple looking game that it's um, it's really beautiful. I was playing it this morning and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. Um, so, yes, those are all my honourable mentions. Um, I also wanted to flag that if you like Japanese RPGs, the... Um, US PlayStation Store has like a whole bunch of them. Um, that's where I bought a Chrono Cross, for example, the um, spiritual sequel to Chrono Trigger. Um, Xenogears, which is a famously unfinished feeling um, Japanese RPG. My recommendation is basically like, uh, so the games, the list of 10 are the ones where I think, well, these are definitely worth buying. These other ones are more just like trying to capture the breadth of stuff that Sony put on um, on the system. But uh, 
I recommend having a good look through the US and um, UK PlayStation stores before they go away, um, just because there's there's like there is heaps of stuff in there. And if you like an old PS1 game, like the old Crash Bandicoot games, and you don't want to play the remaster for whatever reason, uh, you know you can buy all of them on there and Crash Team Racing. So um, basically, like it, it's like the best living archive of the PS1 that exists. And um, when if and when they close this store that will be the biggest loss that you can no longer access the original versions of these games which seems like such a shame they're not 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 for crash but for all the other (laughs) yeah or spyro um but yeah Uh, (laughs) oh no you see i mean if i was the person who had my finger on the button actually that would be quite tempting i'm like i know there's an awful lot of collateral damage (laughs) but if i get to delete one particular path to crash and spyro Oh, yeah it's tempting i'm more <laughs> tempted than i was at the start of the podcast <laughs> it is that is depressing to me though that like I, I don't know like a place you can buy the original metal gear solid would go away but if if i still wanted to buy the the crash bandicoot insane trilogy from sony on ps4 i could do it and like um there's uh that just shows you there's no taste behind the decision it's just like it's all business and uh that's kind of depressing but um that's that's the playstation way (laughs) it's all business baby (laughs) my hope though is that sony finds another way to put to salvage these ps1 games that's the other thing is that ps now does cover ps2 and ps3 and ps4 doesn't cover ps1 so you know all you'll be able to do after this store close closes is go and buy the um the games on disc on ebay and obviously you can't play those on your vita so i don't know like um it's just just a shame like buying playing ps1 games on vita is a genuine treat so uh yes either if sony doesn't change its mind then um you should at least like pick up a few of these before the store's gone forever i think but uh, they'll shut it down and release a proper virtual console in its place (laughs) oh well that'd be good but um that very also very unlikely so yeah Matthew, did you have any further thoughts before we get to like no, our one list just, of questions? Just, my belly is full of exciting... Well, if my belly isn't full of games, I've, I'm going to eat the games and then they'll be in my belly. My <laughs> eyes are set on lots of good games to eat. That was a terrible metaphor. Yeah, it was a bit um, bit rough there. But, uh, you know, again, it's Saturday morning. Like, what, what do people it's expect Saturday morning. Listen, I've got the death of Crash Bandicoot it playing in my mind. So, you know, that's quite distracting. Yep, I've got like a big uh, cheese ball loaf from uh, Waitrose waiting for me over on my kitchen counter. So, you know, it's um, my mind is wandering. But no, there's um, there's a a bunch of stuff there that I think is kind of worth checking out. And and if um, for that second half, like I say, don't buy all of those games. I really don't recommend it. I just recommend checking out some of this stuff that's um, likely to vanish as soon as this store's gone because there are some definitely like interesting oddballs in there even if this was sony's least successful uh, period ever as a console manufacturer they were always making some interesting stuff not always successful but definitely interesting um so yeah matthew do you want to read out our one listener question this week oh i'd love to so we have a listener question from david burrows It says, Matthew says that he couldn't even begin to respect someone who dislikes Mario Galaxy. Did I say that? That sounds very aggressive. Um, (laughs) He just wouldn't know how to engage with them. What would Samuel's equivalent game be? So when people say they don't like Breath of the Wild, that is such a red flag to me. Like, um, (laughs) that's like, if you believe this, how can I take your opinions on anything else seriously? I certainly wouldn't leave you to care for my child. Surely, if you don't find it that fun, you at least appreciate the ambition of it um, and respect that. That's 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 the thing I get. Like, there, there's there's a difference between like 
it's not my favorite game of all time okay with like oh it's i don't like it because i think it's bad and it just i don't know it just stinks of contrarianism to me yeah i think that's fair enough like uh yeah there's there's a few others like this if someone told me they didn't like dishonored i'd be like well how like you can play dishonored any way you want so you can find a way to play it that you will enjoy but um, mm. yeah, I don't. Breath of the World is the main one where people say when the the it's the ultimate like bad contrarian take on Twitter. I don't like Breath of the Wild. I'm just like, nah, nah, mate. Like uh, if I'm if I even think if I let even think about this for more than five seconds, I'll just be deeply uh, deeply hurt and upset. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably mine. Can't yeah, couldn't engage with someone who um, because all their other opinions must be like tainted in some way, um, and I'd be horrified. <laughs> I'd be horrified if the I thing is <laughs> I. I will, like, I wouldn't say it to their face. I'd politely be like, oh, that's interesting. But in my head, they are, like, marked for death. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I will, like, and I'll, instead we'll just complain about them on this podcast, like, namelessly. I have, I have like, legitimately, like, muted and unfollowed people on Twitter for, like, bad gaming opinions like that, where I'm just like, ah, oh, nonsense. Yeah, well, there you go. Like, um, watch out if you uh, if you listen to this podcast and you don't like Breath of the Wild, and Matt Castle follows you. Who knows? It could be curtains. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, but thank you for the question, David. Uh, yeah, Breath of the Wild is the one. That's just the one where I'm like, ah, oh, dear God, no, not today, not today, world. So yeah, Matthew, that's the end of the episode. It's uh, wrapped up. Finally, did an episode that was under two hours long. It's taken oh, us. Oh, we uh, did it. Yeah, I felt I felt like we covered a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, I was kind of shotgunning through the stuff there because um, I think my my knowledge on the games kind of varies uh, wildly across the um, across the different games we discussed. So yeah, I wanted to give them all a bit of like equal footing. But um, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this tour. It saved me from having to like bollock on about Nintendo games, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, you needed uh, a week off from that, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so next week we'll definitely do the uh, Games Magazine covers from Heaven uh, sort of episode that we promised previously, where we'll highlight uh, less kind of like covers that we can slag off. There might be a couple um, of like funny cover lines here and there to kind of pick apart and uh, talk a bit more about magazine cover craft i think that's probably going to turn into a little regular series where we just sort of like you know expound on our memories of working on certain issues so should be a fun one Mm. um but matthew as well like it's probably worth noting that the podcast has become like quite popular people seem to really like it how does that make you feel oh oh great you know obviously i'm I'm thrilled there's always the risk of these things that it's just sort of um you know two two old men looking back on their kind of glory days you know we always chatted about this stuff in the pub we always hoped people would also enjoy hearing about this stuff so yeah that's nice i'm, I'm pleased yeah in terms of our, our sort of overall plan when we started this we we've um always want to do like new game chat when we do this stuff but like um there haven't been that many new games this year as i'm sure people have noticed when new games come out we're going to do like themed episodes around them so um when it's kind of something that you know mutually sort of like uh reaches our interest like um hitman did for example we'll talk about the game and then have some kind of like list feature attached to it to uh, go alongside that so yeah but luckily we've picked um picked quite a good year to do a sort of like more retro themed uh, podcast because more and more games are just getting pushed to 2022 so uh, yeah 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 but um when we do death leap matthew we should definitely do a kind of either an immersive simi or an arcane based kind of like uh, list to go alongside it. That might be fun. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm prepping some big detective thoughts for Famicom Detective Club as well. Yeah, so that'll be in May, and we'll 
we'll do a, a Resident Evil 8 or Village episode as well, where we rank either like best Capcom games or best Resi games. So, uh, mm. yeah, just so people know how we're thinking. And then um, best games of 2008, Matthew will probably do in like a month or so. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll continue that little uh, little mini-series. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can tweet us at BackpagePod on Twitter. You can also email us at BackpageGames at gmail.com. If you send us a letter, we'll read it out. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a review on the platform of your choice, particularly Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, like uh, review is really good for our visibility, helps people find the uh, the show. And we're very grateful for all the reviews we've had so far. So, Matthew, where can people find you on uh, social media? I am Mr. Basil underscore Pesto on Twitter. And uh, yes, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week. Bye for now. Oh, just going to have a swig of uh, water. It's a bit loose, this one, but I think it's all right. Oh, I like it. I'm enjoying it. That Dyson story is so so good. How how have you never told me that before? because <laughs> oh, it's I normally get I normally get um, the PSP DS. You know that they stole my like the you know the the jokey line is the stealing the PSP and like no no real loss because of the games or whatever. Hmm. So I never really get to the bit where they bring all the Dysons around for the for the lineup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's weird because it's not like the Dyson committed the crime. No, but uh, oh man! Well, and I was, it's, yeah, you are, it's, it's like just... the idea of like you know, in the usual suspects, they get them all to say something. It's like turning them all on so you can listen to them or something. <laughs> They're being a slightly mad sort of Benicio del Toro Dyson. <laughs> I think um, the idea that this would be be quite a good case for uh, Detective Basil Pesto, um, <laughs> you know, as we discussed, that's exactly what I could the kind of level of crime I could see Basil Pesto investigating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right then.